there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It was Messi. It was Suarez. It was Neymar. That attacking trio finished with 111 goals that season. Suarez himself with 37 goals and 16 assists. It felt like we had actually accomplished something, that we beat a European blue blood. It was over. It was over, especially on the away goals. It was a clinical moment in his career where he was saying, I'm going to make the difference. This isn't over yet. And then, of course, magic happens. PSG you could kind of say are an embarrassment of European football with how many times they failed in the Champions League and it all started with this match. If, if there's a major ripple effect to take from this would be that PSG kind of bankrupt Barcelona. La Remontada, the comeback, the greatest game in Champions League history to many. This week, we're going to be talking about the monumental impact of the Barcelona 6 PSG 1 match in the round of 16 of the Champions League, also known as La Remontada. We're joined by Ed from PSG Talk and Dan Hilton from the Barcelona podcast to discuss the magnitude of the events that unfolded on the 8th of March 2017 and why football hasn't been the same since this event. Six years on from that round of 16 second leg, we explore the argument that it was, in fact, the ripple effects from this very game that shaped Barcelona, PSG and European football from then until now and the teams and the game that we see today. If you are new to the Ripple Effect, welcome. If you get something from the podcast, please consider following and giving this podcast a five-star rating to play a hand in its success. Feel free to share it, of course, as well. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's begin by understanding the landscape with which these two clubs found themselves going into this game. A game that has its own name, La Remontada. Dan, from the Barcelona podcast, fantastic podcast. I love listening to it. Everyone should listen to it. Ed from PSG Talk. This is the PSG podcast you need to listen to if you want to know all things PSG. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about and reminisce on La Remontada. What a wild game when I sort of went and watched it back. And so many elements, if you do truly watch it all back, not just watch the goals, so many could have beens, should have beens as well, I think, from a PSG perspective. And it, I, I really do believe this game, this game changed a lot in football. I mean, it was, I would say, easily the worst time uh, as a PSG fan, as a football fan, I mean, what happened that night, I, I think it has its own Wikipedia entry. I mean, it is just reverberated around the footballing world. Um, it is well known. Uh, PSG, you could kind of say, are an embarrassment of European football with how many times they failed in the Champions League. And it all started with this match. 
Um, so yeah, when you said you wanted to have me come on and, and relive my worst moment, I was kind of like hesitant, but I feel like enough time has passed where we can really dive in and dissect this match and what happened and what, what the ripple effect from that match. Cause it, there's been several, we were what about six years into the QSI era, um, ownership had made it very clear that the goal was to win the champions league. And not only that, but PS put PSG on the map as a European superpower, um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic was probably the leader, the biggest star. You mentioned several, but I would say he was the biggest. But this season he had left the summer before. And so going into it, PSG had won, you know, four consecutive league on titles. But that, that quarterfinal stage, as you said, we were synonymous with that. We could not break through, whether it was Carlo Ancelotti or Laurent Blanc. Both of those managers had difficulty breaking through that. And so going into the season, we felt like, okay, the league... We got that. We've won it four years in a row. We can do it again. We need to get past the quarterfinals. What was the feeling amongst Barcelona and Barcelona fans going into that tie once you knew you were going to play PSG? Well, I mean, from a personal note, I'll start by, by saying that the podcast, the Barcelona podcast, began in May of that season. So one month after that game occurred, we began the podcast that next month because not just because of this game, but because there was still a sense of a demand for one of the best teams in the world over the last 10 seasons that they, as you had mentioned, were just winning, winning, winning. Mm -hmm. It was still, remember, Messi was not yet even 30 years old. Um, and I can tell you having, you know, having bridged that gap, the 30 year gap, it's not too bad. You can you still have a little left in the tank. So the idea was that there was going to be <laughs> yeah. quite a few years left to go with he. And then obviously Neymar had been signed and was set up to eventually take over for Messi within however many seasons that was going to be. But until that time, they and Suarez were going to be dominating world football together. And, and I also say the expectations when you talk about that, too. I know it had been two years since they won the Champions League, whatever you say. But it does depend on who you ask, too, because the expectations of international fans who may have jumped on board to the club in 08, 09, their expectations, and I still do with this today, of course, their expectations are different than those in Catalonia, who you look at the stadium itself for that match, there was attendance of 96,029 people or 290 people. That was after they had lost 4 nothing in Paris away, right? How many clubs can say that they're going to pack their home stadium with that kind of belief after losing 4 nothing? PSG came to the Camp Nou with a nearly unbeatable 4-0 advantage after an annihilation of the Catalans in Paris. During this match, Marco Verratti and Angel Di Maria put in star-studded performances, whilst Barcelona looked miles away from the European pedigree they had established for themselves. What are your memories of that 4-0 defeat? Well, I think Barcelona, they weren't ready for not the intensity of PSG, but the quality of Angel Di Maria. And Mark Verratti was sensational in that game. That was one of those moments. And one of the first podcasts we actually did, Mark Verratti's in the title, because that was actually the thing that I took away from that tie almost more than anything else was that what does Barcelona need as Xavi, remember, had moved on two seasons prior. Rakitic had come in and was was quality, but he wasn't necessarily going to be replacing Andres Iniesta in a like-for-like -like way. They were almost so bad in that game. They only had one shot in the entire match <laughs> with a front three of Neymar and Messi and Suarez. And so I think as a Kool-Aid, it's not that I had you know this overwhelming belief or confidence in the team. It was just a matter of looking at the rest of the numbers from that season, physically impossible. Sorry, guys. Sorry to interject. But just to explain so you know, Barcelona fans are usually categorized into two different types of fans, Kool-Aids and Socios. Terms that originate back to the start of the 20th century, these terms are still used today amongst Barcelona fans. 
it was not going to happen again. They weren't going to get just one shot on goal. Uh, it was physically impossible. So while I didn't know if they could come back, there certainly was, this is a worst case scenario of a game and they will rebound. At that time, PSG fans were a little bit naive. We hadn't fallen on our face like this. Sure, we had lost and some you know defeats were more difficult than others, but nothing on the level of uh, 6-1 defeat. And so when PSG had won 4-0, we were kind of in a state of shock. Um, the way I like to describe it is uh, if you've ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, when Andy finally gets out, breaks out of prison, and he just looks up to the heavens with the rain. It felt like that. It felt like we had actually accomplished something, that we beat a European blue blood in Barcelona who had beaten us before, and we beat them 4-0. Like, it was just incredible. It felt like PSG had, with the rock hammer, just been chiseling for years and years and years. We finally had broken through. At the new camp, Barcelona lined up with a crazy five attackers in Neymar, Suarez, Rafinha and Messi all starting. This meant that Barca lined up in a 3-3-4 formation, something not familiar to any of the Barcelona followers. Pichy lined up in the 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3. That had served them so well up until that point with players such as Lucas Moura, Julian Draxler, Marco Verratti and Edison Cavani, of course, all in the lineup. Luis Enrique, who had said that he was already leaving the club at the end of that season, he'd won the Champions League a couple of years prior to that. He famously says, look, if they can beat us 4-0, if they can score four goals against us, we can score six against them. Obviously, and remember, guys, this is before they actually go and score six uh, against them. For Luis Enrique, I think what made his time interesting was that very much like Pep Guardiola before that, I mean, that is a standard that... that Kules dictate their coaches to, and then before that was was Johan Cruyff, and I think there is something ab- about strength in not only pragmatism, but there's this very <laughs> there's this this belief that comes in those press conferences for Barcelona managers that if you can get them to believe it, if you can get the Spanish press to believe that there is some kind of internal desire for the team to come back, then it seems like you can convince the team itself. The three at the back lineup again, you know, as someone who's you know not living and breathing Barcelona every single day, when I looked at the lineups to see three at the back, can you remember why that was the case at the time? Because I know obviously with Barcelona, that's often not the way that you would look to set up. And it was Mtiti, Mascherano and, and Pique in that back three. Do you think, was that something that was happening all the time or was that something that you felt was specific for the game against Pitch? Yeah, it was definitely something that was um, specific to the game. Because as I remember, I mean, they were down 4 nothing, so they had to attack. So the idea was to start even more attackers. And you could actually argue tactically that this was kind of one of the first times we had seen what has now become almost commonplace in world football with that 3-2-5. Because Barcelona wanted to get as many attackers forward constantly, get as many attackers forward. And in that, we'll say the twosome beside Busquets, it'd be Rakitic to drop in generally. And Iniesta could come back and get the ball. Rafinha at times would be the one who'd drop in if Iniesta had gone high on the left. So they were just trying to get basically as many bodies forward, but try to keep some kind of defensive shape. And it's a reminder, too, that those were three defenders at the time. And Mascherano, who was, you know, not to say on his way out, but he wasn't even declining. I think he left at a pretty high level. But yeah, he, he was an established vet. He'd been there a long time. Uh, Pique, of course, <laughs> you know, Pique being Pique at that time, there were ebbs and flows, but still a class defender. It should be expected to be world-class at the time. You can use that term. And then for Sam Umtiti, a reminder that Umtiti had, had been bought over the summer from Lyon. And that year and a half before the World Cup, before the knees did him in, that was, I mean, he was arguably a top, you know, five to eight defender in the world, honestly. Like, Umtiti was 
was wonderful at the time, uh, the peak of his powers. And unfortunately, it's a shame to say that that year and a half, yes, was the best of his career. But again, so these, these are three defenders that you do trust physically in 1v1 situations to you know, try to stop any counterattacks that PSG might have and then getting as many bodies forward. So yes, it was weird to see, but I think that's, again, something from the outside that people don't understand that Barcelona seems to be dogmatic and pragmatic with their, in their approaches. It's like you can predict what they're going to do because they have to play a certain way, but that's not necessarily the case. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Going into the match, the PSG players looked somewhat nervy, walking out led by their captain, Thiago Silva, but looked like they possessed the confidence to see the game out. Barcelona came out to the 96,000 fans in attendance with their chest out and heads held high. The Champions League anthem rang out and perhaps got to the PSG players with the realisation of how huge a result it would be for the Parisians if they were to go through, but also if they were to go out. This was possibly evident in how Barcelona started the game. The moment the ball kicked off, perhaps shook PSG and Barcelona were able to capitalise upon this with Luis Suarez opening the scoring after just three minutes. When you are trying to score six goals, you have to try and build momentum. And so when the goals are scored can often be quite important to sort of keep the hope alive. And that's what makes this game such a classic as well, is that the f- all of the goals are so weird, aren't they? The first goal is one where Luis Suarez sort of somehow gets a like looping lob header from about three yards that just about goes over the line. Talk me through the second goal, which is Marquinhos and uh, Kazawa's involved in it. Obviously, this is a you know this is people going to be listening to this. So the best you can can, can you remember that goal? Because that goal is so odd, and it's those kind of goals that make you start to think. What's going on here? Yeah, you know, I'm trying to think back. I That whole match was just, like you said, every goal was just incredible. But I think Barcelona got off to about as good of a start as you would want. Suarez, in the third minute, I think, he scores. And you're thinking, okay, they, it, it's a great start for them, but they're not going to score six goals. There's no way. We're going to hold it down. And then it was the Kazawa own goal right before halftime, which is when you don't want to give up a goal. And so... They're thinking, okay, we've got two goals here. Let's push forward and, and let's see what happens. We've got Messi. We've got Neymar, as you said. Suarez is in the team. And so I just think Barcelona, they got off to a great start. And as soon as that goal went in, as soon as Kurzawa made the mistake, scored the own goal, you could see. I remember thinking back and, and thinking, okay, the, you can kind of see the heads are going down. The the arms are, you know, the hands are on the hips. And you could see the despair starting to set in in that cauldron of a stadium. Uh, the second half, uh, Lionel Messi gets himself that goal. And it's like, wow, okay, something's, something's really happening here. And then, then there's the moment where watching it back, I feel like, I feel like the, the sole moment of karma is, first, Cavani scores a goal. So there's an element of redemption here because Kazal, who scored the uh, own goal, nods down the ball to Cavani. And Cavani with a fantastic finish, great goal, um, smashes it into the into the goal, and that means that 
you still that Barcelona still need three goals. But there was a moment when I watched it back. They all celebrate, and Angel Di Maria, Angel Di Maria puts his finger to his lip. Now, obviously, I'm not expecting you to remember this because literally in that moment, you were probably going pretty wild at the time. But yeah. I do wonder, because we'll come back to Angel Di Maria, but how do you feel when that moment happens? Because the way it's so alien to see the score being 3-1 on the scoreboard on the, you know, on the TV, yet Unai Emery is, is going, you know, he's going wild. They're all, they're all, they've all lost their, their heads here. Like, how did that feel? I mean, I mean, it was a great goal by Cavani, and you're thinking, okay, we've got an away goal. This was when away goals mattered. As, you know, the rules have changed uh, since. But when that goal went in, we're thinking, okay, we got a crucial away goal. As you mentioned earlier, PSG had won 4-0, so Barcelona didn't have any. So I thought that goal is, is going to be crucial. That might be what keeps us in this thing. And even if it's level on aggregate, we're going through. It was over. It was over, and especially on the away goals. Like that was it. It was the away goals reminder was was the thing that made it over. In the 62nd minute, when Cavani scored, I did. I had to go to work. I worked major league baseball at the time, and so I had to go to work within like an hour after the game ended. So I took that time to like make my lunch. I I like turned down the TV a little bit. I Cavani scored. I was like, oh whatever. So I actually put a half an eye on it. And so I went out, made my lunch, and said, yeah, it's definitely over. Even numerically, if they come back, the away goals are going to go to PSG. Because, again, it was 4 nothing the first leg. Um, how are they going to score three goals in the next you know, 15 minutes or so? And then, of course, magic happens. PSG launched a complaint against the referee, Dennis uh, Aitken, after the match for 10 refereeing errors. And there are a few in there that are so bad. And Angel de Maria, to come back to him, there's a moment where he gets put through. And Javier Mascherano literally takes him out. It's it's these kind of moments like will you know have gone on to sort of define um, PSG. And for that not to be called was is one where you do sort of like you know your eyebrows change shape in that moment, and he obviously misses that chance. And that's I think in the eighty fifth minute the ball goes down the other end, and Neymar scores an absolute peach of uh, a free kick and. Yeah, the rest is history. There were just several chances um, or calls that went Barcelona's way where they were given penalties when there were at least two handballs by Barcelona in the box um, that should have been called. PSG just needed one more goal and they would have went through. It's just really disappointing. But at that moment when Cavani scored, I thought that that would be enough to go through. So I was very excited. I was celebrating. I said, it's not going to be pretty, but we're going to get through, you know, breaking through that glass ceiling, the quarterfinal. Maybe this is just what we need to go through. It's going to be painful, but we're going to get through. Is there a moment that you can pinpoint where you thought something's really happening here? I think we're going to do this. I mean, it had to be the 88th minute goal by Neymar. It was the first one by Neymar. Because with that goal, you did kind of... The free kick. Exactly. Right. With that goal, you kind of went, oh, okay, they have momentum. Because again, not a reminder, but it was Messi, it was Suarez, it was Neymar. That attacking trio finished with 111 goals that season. Suarez himself with 37 goals and 16 assists. Talk to me about Neymar's performance in that game because, you know, he, he was never Messi and that's why he left or one of the reasons why he left. You could say it with full voice, like being the shadow to Messi. I mean, yeah, being Messi's shadow, I think, was... Yeah. We'll do it but later, but yeah, that was a huge part of that. But as far as the performance in that game, I mean, is that the best or arguably the best game of his career? Like, is, is that... Like, is that what we're talking about? I mean, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, so I think, you know, he is the main character of this story, of this game, and of this Ripple Effect podcast for me, because 
of everything that happens afterwards. But in the game itself, nothing happens unless this game happens and he performs that way. And the free kick in particular is is so wonderful and necessary and without decision for me. Neymar, he he's at no point, he's gone, well, we need a goal, so I'm going to put it there. And people wouldn't even think to do that. I think a lot of other people go, okay, we need a goal. What's the safe thing to do? I'm going to float across him because we've got all these bodies in there. That was, in terms of the genius of, of Neymar, which we have seen possibly a little bit too fleetingly, that moment for me, I was like, wow. There was no, there was no doubt it was it was a clinical moment in his career where he was saying i'm going to i'm going to make the difference this isn't over yet and i i think that is something that we haven't seen that much and i don't think we saw that neymar enough would you would you agree with that because i mean you kind of did you, that that was his best moment in the barcelona shirt for you yeah i mean i i think so i mean because i think after that he look at the way he takes the penalty which again happens less than t- two or three minutes later and the fact that Messi says, yeah, of course, Suarez, Messi, whoever it may be, it's, it's Neymar. I did think that at the time. I thought, why is Messi not taking this penalty? But, so what had happened there? Neymar was the hot hand. Neymar was the guy. And Barcelona would do this at the time. I mean, with that front trio, they scored so many goals. Like, there was a lot of times when Messi and Suarez, like, they would, they would give it to each other. Because it was, it was kind of like, who's kind of earned it on the day? And then things like that. And it was very diplomatic. Um, and I think with the Neymar thing... It's it's revisionist history because now we're seeing between Neymar and Messi and Mbappe and how that whole thing has gone for his career since then, right? Like that moment shouldn't have been the moment in in Neymar's career. Well, I think the the thing with PSG is he needed to he needed to do it on his own for it to be PSG. Yeah. If he does it now, if he you know if he wins the Champions League, which we're talking about, and get them over the line, he will have had the help of the best player for the last 15 years and the best player for the next 15 years. So it's not his anymore, uh, which was exactly the reason why, you know, apart from the financial gain, of course, why he, he made that, he made that move. So even that goal, you know, talking about ripple effects, the person that gets more than Neymar, the ripple effect of this game, because I think Neymar was always going to go to PSG, right? Sergio Roberto is the name to mention because Sergio Roberto scores that goal. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's funny because I don't want to. Yeah, I almost like minimizing your thing to be like, hey, let's talk about Sergio Roberto. But no, it's no, true. no, no, I get it. I get it. Winds up ex- because the because the fact is is that is he still at the club if he doesn't score that goal? Because actually, in the commentary of it, there were some quite discouraging comments about how bad he was in the first leg of that game and how kind of you know he was bordering on on competence slash inco- incompetent. So that goal meant everything for his career, right? Well, yes, because at the time, the club, and I, I, this is a name that I don't like to say anymore, but, but Danny Alves had just left the club that summer. And so it was Sergio Roberto. Is he really the right back for the next few seasons? The idea was always to buy a right back. I mean, I think that was the thing. But because Sergio Roberto is Catalan, because he seems to be a great figure in the locker room to, to get young players kind of accustomed to, especially depending on where those players are coming from. A lot of times it's Spain, yes. But he's kind of part of that welcoming committee. As uh, He wasn't a captain then, but you know, at the time he was younger, there was always rumors that he was good about the Barcelona nightlife, like just getting young players like comfortable in, in, their, in their boots and in their shoes. I think Sergio Roberto scoring that goal, I, I, yeah, at the moment, of course, who knows, it's a history as what he's become of how fans view him. But at that time, again, still he was 
this rotation piece, he was still figuring his way in. He had basically become the starter at right back. But yeah, he wasn't. He was Barcelona's, I think, last starter on the team sheet on a regular day. When the, when the 11 is healthy, he was the last name on that team sheet, right? And for him to come from the academy and just to kind of pop up, and he was kind of known for that. That's what he's been known for his whole career, like not being consistent, but just kind of popping up in important moments. That wasn't his only goal. He did that. It was like he had three of those. Being Roberto, I think, made it matter a little bit more to Barcelona again because he is like the, you know, one of the, the sons, if you will, um, where you take all your superstars and Ronaldinho and Messi and Neymar and Kuman and whoever it was in the past. Like those are the ones that win you the trophies. But it's also your own players, like the ones from your academy, the ones that are who didn't play for a long time and sat on your bench for years and years and years and kind of watched it all happen. And they're the ones that do it for the badge, right? And I think there's there's definitely some romance to that. There's that touch of destiny about it that it, that it shouldn't be him. Surely it it's going to be that, Suarez yeah. or it's going to be PK or it's going to be someone else. But for some reason it was him. And I think that is that is an interesting part of it because uh, you really don't see him. You also I think that the the way the ball comes over as well. The ball comes out, goes in, comes out and then is lofted in such an odd way that it just your eyes are looking up and then your eyes look down and there he is. An unbelievable way to win a game. So this game could be described as Neymar's peak in hindsight. Neymar has since gone to PSG, of course, won trophies, but all of these accolades have been team-based accomplishments, such as winning the Ligue 1 title four times, winning the French Cup three times, and the French League Cup twice. But the hard-hitting fact is that he has never won a prestigious individual award since leaving Barcelona, something that was expected of him when he burst on the scene as a 17-year-old. The only time Neymar has won the League Player of the Year was in Brazil for Santos back in 2011. The Ballon d'Or eludes him, and it could all be down to peaking against his now-club PSG. I mean, it was... The worst season in, in QSI era history. I mean, not winning Ligue 1 is, was just unheard of. Um, but some guy named Kylian Mbappe at, at Monaco had um, different thoughts. And, and so PSG lost the league. And they were obviously knocked out in just embarrassing fashion. So there was always going to be kind of a retooling, um, a reshuffling of the squad. How can we get better? And so I think in the summer, there was mutual interest. PSG had just watching, uh, watched Neymar just run rampant on them. And he, depending on what reports, but I think there's some truth to it that he wanted to get out from under the shadow of, of Messi and kind of do his own thing and lead his own uh, team to a Champions League title and kind of elevate his status in the game. And so there was mutual interest there. Barcelona were foolish enough to put um, a buyout clause. They put a number on them. And PSG, they have unlimited funds. And so they said... Let's go ahead. Let's let's get them. And so they paid that amount, and there was really nothing Barcelona could do about it when there was interest from Neymar and, and PSG had the had the money. I'm a fan of the NBA, and the, recently there was a Kevin Durant trade to the Suns. And what has always been the case, whether it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the '70s or Kevin Durant now or Kevin Garnett in the late 2000s, whenever one gigantic superstar goes in one direction, and then you have to fill. Now football is different because obviously you're spending money instead of getting players from the other team or whatever and trading for players. But whoever gets the superstar generally wins that trade or wins the exchange like 90% of the time, right? So losing one individual in Neymar was always a concern. I, I think at the time it was, all right, well, but if he wants to leave, that's always been a big Kool-Aid thing you always say too, that if a player wants to leave, you kind of let him go. And in Spain, because the law is, 
you can't have a team come in and pay that release clause. So he actually had to pay his own release clause to get him out, which said that this player wants to go. It's not like PSG came and, 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 and snuck him out the back door and said, okay, he's ours and snatched him away. He chose to go. Do you think that QSI go and get Neymar more so because of the Qatar World Cup or more so because of this match? I think I think they wanted to, as I stated at the very very beginning, they wanted to win the Champions League, but also elevate PSG uh, as a European superpower in world football. I think you had all these elements playing together. I think they brought in Neymar because they thought, oh, he's going to help us win the Champions League. We're going to sell jerseys. People are going to talk about us in a good light. And, we're, oh, we're hosting the World Cup, and he's going to be a, a key player for Brazil, and he's going to be here, and everyone's going to forget everything that we're doing over here. So I think you have all these elements coming together, and it just worked out because Neymar wanted to be here. At least initially, I think a lot of people forget, uh, once he did come here, it was a, maybe a, a year or two after that, there started to be rumors of him wanting to leave and go back to Barcelona. He was very unhappy, um, and then he decided to stay and actually signed a contract extension. Um, so I don't think that... QSI bought him to just win the Champions League. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I think there were multiple reasons why they wanted to bring him in. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The 220 million euros Barcelona received for Neymar was a pivotal part in their history and has led to problems ever since. The subsequent spending of that money has been a big part of their downfall and has highlighted severe incompetence in the Barcelona hierarchy, as Dan explains. Coutinho, 140 million. Dembele, 120 million. Paulinho, 35 million. He actually got 37 back, actually, on Paulinho, so well done there. Nelson Semedo, 32 million. Delefeu, 10 million. Yeri Mina. Uh, 10 million none of them really well none of them did well um even Coutinho went on loan to Bayern Munich in 2019-20 and came on for 15 minutes in an 8-2 victory against Barcelona the ripple effect here that's staring me in the face is that the the beginning of the downfall is is bizarrely taking that money which again comes back if we pull at the thread from that game do you think you realised at the time how big of a, how well you needed to spend that money? And are you still amazed at how badly you spent it? No, I, I think at, even at the time, I think the numbers that you're speaking about and the main figure here becomes Jose Maria Bartomeu because I think when you talk about the ripple effects, as boring as it is, the ripple effects to how this all affected FC Barcelona um, go down to Bartomeu, go down to the books and finances and the budgets and things like that. Because if anything, again, it's, it's all a domino effect that kind of began with the success of the 2015 Champions League. 
because that Champions League gets him reelected. At the time, you know, when you win a Champions League, you don't want to upset anything, right? I mean, you want to keep everybody happy. More of the same. You want to, right, you want to exactly keep everything the same. So it's not even that money that wound up being the problem. It's that Barcelona, on the back of their own success, wound up breaking their own wage structure, something that they're still dealing with today, obviously. Bartomeu was handing out huge contracts based on the pressure he felt to keep it all together and keep it going. And so the only argument I'll make for this game is that this and that 3-2 against Real Madrid then the next month kind of gave Kool-Aid the belief that, yes, we are very much still in our glory era and we have to pay for that era. And Messi, being the greatest player of all time because of what he was bringing in in merchandise, in gate revenue, in uh, tourism, in all those factors that made the potential pre-pandemic revenue of Barcelona they said it was going to be a billion and they were on pace. That was supposed to be the first club to ever make a billion in revenue. Right. And then getting that transfer money from Neymar allowed you to get Coutinho and Dembele and in theory, the stars of that next era, because again, revenue was supposed to hit 1 billion the next season, but by 2020, three years on the pandemic happens. And, and it's again, revisionist history of all of worst case scenarios financially. Again, Bartomeu also a, a complete oaf, like a complete absolute financial oaf, um, mismanaged and just crooked and criminal in all those different ways. So yeah, it was it was a calamity of financial errors that has led to what we see now. So just to clarify, what you're saying really is that although there's a clear ripple effect of that Neymar money changed the way we looked at transfers and the amount that we paid for certain players, and so much so that you paid 160 million for Coutinho, and that was obviously poor financial decisions but what you're actually saying is a similar idea of because Messi was on a certain amount of money those other players that shouldn't be anywhere near that the sort of the Coutinho's of that squad to be slightly disrespectful to absolute club legends it was the it was the wages that you were giving to those the other guys in the gang they should have been nowhere near where Messi's were there should have been a, a broader understanding that this is the greatest player of all time of course he earns that much more than you but when in, in your owner, you didn't have someone capable of making those decisions. If, if there's a major ripple effect to take from this would be that PSG kind of bankrupt Barcelona um, and really put that club, you know, down a peg, I think, in, in the eyes of a lot of people because of just the financials of it. And it also there's certain rules in La Liga that they have to abide by and um, they have to let that's why Messi had to leave they, they literally couldn't afford him hmm. um, they've had issues registering players they'll, you know they'll get transfers but they can't sign them because they don't have the money whereas with PSG sure they haven't won the Champions League but they did get to a final the year after that they did get to a semi-final they haven't won the title but they're also not bankrupt they're not they're not uh, they are able to register players so that's my main takeaway is that Barcelona has been sort of knocked down a little bit from their pedestal as one of the elites because of what PSG yeah. did to them financially. It's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of like they sort of won they sort of won the battle and you've been sort of like I don't know, you've had paper cuts since in terms of, you know, <laughs> in terms of the last uh, the round of 16, you only got past that twice in the last 5 years. And but they you've kind of won the war in terms of Barcelona and where where they are now. Is it is it as easy as and as simple as that game led to all the woes in the Champions League from here in? Do you feel that tensing up of the fan base and the players year in, year out? I do. You know, you look at that team, a lot of players have moved on. So, you know, you do have different leaders, but the core of the team is really there. Marquinhos is still there. He was in that match. Verratti, he's still there. Um, Neymar came in um, and then we had the defeat to Manchester United, which was 
almost just as painful for me because it was we should have won that. They it was a underman Manchester United squad. Mbappe was was there and he was he witnessed that. So we our core of players have all had these just dramatic, embarrassing losses in the Champions League. And then you look at, you know, internationally, some of the players have also had some issues with letting leads go. So I do think it affects them. And as a fan, I no longer think that we have a tie wrapped up. I don't care who it is. I don't care how many goals we have. I I always expect the worst. I hope for the best, but expect the worst. And I think the players, they'll say whatever they need to say, but I know the history is in the back of their minds. And until they actually lift the Champions League trophy, it's always going to persist in my mind. You know, with Neymar and Mbappe at the time, although it, it, it clearly changed the market forevermore. And, you know, if you think of Barcelona and how they spend that money, they go by Coutinho uh, and, you know, the ramifications of, of that. That's obviously a huge one. But, you know, Neymar hasn't... Well, actually, I'll let you ask the question, but Mbappe certainly has been a flop. Neymar... I would generally think hasn't been a flop. What's the feeling among, amongst PSG fans? I mean, if you look at the st- statistics, you could say he's probably one of the better players in PSG history. However, I'm sort of on the fence. He got off to a, a very fast start. He played really well, but injuries. I think that's how he's going to re- his PSG career is going to be remembered is injuries, where he plays really well the first part of the season. Then February comes around. I'm not going to bring up the whole, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But every February he seems <laughs> to get injured and he's not available when we need him. And so you pay 222 million euro for a player who can play against Nonsen Toulouse and, and maybe a, a match against Marseille rivals. But when it comes to Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, he's just not available in the knockout stage. And for for QSI, that's the, the stated target. Win the Champions League and unfortunately... Far too often he's not available. Now, when he has been available, um, I think it was when PSG did get to the finals, he was instrumental, more so than Mbappe. So when healthy, he's fantastic. He's just so inconsistent and he's so injury prone. I think that's how he's going to be remembered. Do you think he's in the top three PSG players of all time? No, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him up there. Really? That's fascinating. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, if you're listening to this, tweet yeah. me your three. I'd love to know. Ed, you can tell me afterwards because I don't want you getting trolled. Uh, yeah. So here's yeah. another one. <laughs> How do you feel about the idea that Neymar created the culture that he then had to fall victim of? He's created, um, I think, several problematic um, cultures within the team. I think being a PSG or very player um, empowerment. They have a lot of say. They don't like a manager. That manager will be removed. They don't want to train. They don't train. If they want to party late at night, they will. And I think a lot of that stems from Neymar. And, you know, he he's at the top of the wage bill. And I think that filters throughout the whole squad. You have different um, contingencies um, that get together within the dressing room. It, it's just sort of a mess. So that culture is, is just not great. And then so he comes in and he's witnessing what happened against Manchester United and, you know, his, we all know the meme with his jaw just kind of dropped as he's watching this craziness unfold um, when I think it was Kim Pembe gave away the, the handball and Rashford uh, converted the penalty. And so I, I think, yeah, I, I think he's contributed to a lot of that. I, I don't think, I don't see Neymar as a leader. We see it with Brazil. We see it, uh, we saw it at Barcelona. I think Messi was the always the leader or Pique or uh, Busquets. Um, I just don't think Neymar is a leader. And so when something like the Rimantada is going on, um, you know, 
or I guess he was on the pitch for Manchester United, they're kind of looking at Neymar, and he's just, for me, he's not the leader. And that that's only going to be, that ripple effect only dies when you get that Champions League victory, right? It's always going to follow you around and to, uh, with that inability to get over that final hurdle. Yeah, and and right now, you know, he's he's coming back. Neymar's coming back from injury. There's a lot of rumors that he could be sold. Um, Chelsea is a team that is interested in his services. I think this this culture has run its um, course. And, and for me, it's, I would sell Neymar 50-60. We would take a hit, you know, on, on that transfer fee. But I think it's time for him to go. I think it's time for Messi. And I think the answer is build through Ligon, build through PSG's academy. I mean, PSG are sitting on perhaps the richest pool of talent in the world. We've seen, you know, players come in and be sold for, you know, 13 million and go to Leipzig, you know, Christopher and Cuckoo, for example. We have great talent. I think that's the way to build. And I think the only way to change that culture is to let players like Neymar, Messi, um, to just go on to other teams. And we need to build a different way. Do you believe that this game created a modern rivalry? Do you feel like there's any kind of rivalry with PSG from the point of, you know, the old, far more romantic Barcelona and the new money of PSG and what occurred here? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think you can argue that it's happening off the field, that PSG is always looking. I mean, they always wanted Messi. They always wanted that, that, that revenue, the market. I think for PSG, their enemy is, is themselves. Like, <laughs> and from the outside in, like, again, this is a team that have built now their front three to not press, to not really defend. And it, you're seeing what's happening. Like, their enemy is to win a Champions League. Like, that's what it is. Like, whoever it takes. And Real Madrid and Barcelona, it, that's, they only have eyes for each other. Like, that's how it is. Like, as much as even Liverpool fans jump in my mentions after everything, and Bayern Munich fans are constantly after me, like, as much as other fans let me hear it, you know, it's Real Madrid fans. I wonder if you look at it from the other side, the bottom line is, and it's what keeps us hanging around, is watching that football match, supporting that game, and hoping your team wins. And what Barcelona did that night, set in motion what I think some PSG fans will feel like is a bit of a curse or certainly uh, some uh, real post-traumatic stress in terms of being unable to get past that round and it was that 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 sent those shockwaves into them and you guys caused that and so on that really base level I think that's why that maybe there is a bit more of that sort of rivalry coming from that side as opposed to yourself because I get what you're saying. I mean, and there could be, if you wanted to, there's that bitterness the other way around, isn't there? We could, they took Messi and they took Neymar. But it, it, it's interesting that you, you don't see it that way. I, say, I, don't, I don't see them as taking Messi because Barcelona couldn't afford Messi. Messi didn't want to leave. Messi was going to come back. He, was, he wanted to, I mean, he was, he was on the plane thinking he was going to come back. And then he, it doesn't happen because Barcelona can't afford him with salary limits. Like Barcelona lost Messi, not that PSG took him. Like Neymar chose to go to PSG, and and that's different. Again, that was Neymar's choice. I mean, Messi, right. PSG is the only team that could afford him. <laughs> Again, it goes back to like his wages and things like that. But yeah, I mean, and to that point too, like. For PSG can have their thing, but again, Barcelona's European stuff, the curse or whatever you want to call it, that starts the next year with Roma when they fail to get out of the quarterfinal and Roma come back on them and that comeback. And then Liverpool, that comeback. And Barcelona are still living with the nightmare of those, those ghosts or ghouls or whatever you want to call it, like those harbingers of doom in the, champ in the Champions League and the Europa League. And I think that starts at Roma um, more than anything else. See, what's interesting here is I don't think that does start Roma. I think you started that. I think Barcelona started that in this game because what you did was you gave other teams the belief that you can come from three goals down. 
I think that's from from that side of it. You you created that yourselves. Like that hadn't. I think that happened once before. Uh, Deportivo La Coruña against AC Milan. But since the game with you guys, it's happened numerous on numerous occasions, and that's that's down to Barcelona in this game. So, what are your final thoughts when I say to you what was the ripple effect of this tie of La Remontada? There's hope in everything in football. Like, there's always, there always should be a little bit of hope. And I think that, I know PSG doesn't hear that, but PSG against, right now against Bayern Munich. Have a little bit of hope then. <laughs> 